0: Well, hey, good morning. Again, it's great to have you here. Uh, Happy Easter. Thank you so much for joining us uh, at Silver Creek Online. Uh, We are praying that you are staying safe and and healthy and all of those things. Uh, This morning, we are jumping into a brand new series. Uh, We're calling it Jesus Will. And and the thought behind Jesus Will is we want to really begin to uh, establish for each of us what is true and what the true idea is about what Jesus will do for you about what Jesus will provide for us, what Jesus will do and offer in our lives, and what that's all about. Because oftentimes, what we expect or think Jesus is going to do isn't actually what he said we could count on him doing. I mean, there's a really good chance that, that what we think Jesus is going to do came from a movie. Or maybe what we think Jesus is going to do, it came from some article we read online, Maybe there was a professor in college that said something, and and that's what we think Jesus could do. Maybe it was from a fortune cookie. Maybe you opened a fortune cookie one time. Maybe what you think Jesus will do is something that you learned from a street preacher that was yelling at you as you walked into a baseball game. I don't know about you, but I would kill right now to have a street preacher yelling at me as I was walking into a baseball game. That sounds amazing. Uh, But here's the deal. It's really easy for you and I to get a wrong idea about what Jesus will do or what what we can expect from him several years ago uh, or most of you know that we have a sister church down in El Salvador Um, and in El Salvador if you're not familiar with this um, El Salvador has a culture and a society that's really currently dominated by gangs all kinds of gang violence all kinds of gang culture it's really not a very safe place to live Um, It's really not an environment that any of us uh, should ever really go down there on our own and visit and walk around the streets. Really, you wouldn't be okay. But we've taken several trips down there, and the church takes a great, great care of us, and they watch over us. But it's really not a very safe place. So several years ago, we took a trip down there um, and we went down to El Salvador. We had 10 teenagers with us. We had several adults and, and we spent about a week down there and we and we built a lot of relationships with different people within the church. And we also spent time working inside of their building and and all of the work that we did on the building was always inside of the building and inside of the building. You're pretty safe. They have electrified razor wire all around the perimeter of the building. Um, All of their doors are made out of steel. They've got extra locks. They've got bars on all of the windows. So inside is pretty safe. And actually, when you want to get into the building, you walk up to a steel door and you knock on the door. And then somebody opens a little peephole. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. They open it up and they look outside and they do a retinal scan, a retina scan. Um, They just look and if they recognize your retinas, uh, then they let you in. And then once you're inside the building, you're pretty safe. So one day we're inside of the building and it's it's locked up tight, everything's shut down and safe, and we're inside, and, and we're painting the walls of the interior of this building. And after we'd been painting for several hours, I, I looked down this hallway and I noticed that the door where the peephole was at that was leads to the street, that the door was wide open. And then I noticed that we had a couple students just outside of that door and they were painting. They were outside of the door of protection, completely exposed to the street, completely exposed to any gang member or gang group that might have walked down at the time. They were completely exposed. So I quickly ran to Oscar, the pastor, and I said, listen, Oscar, this is not safe. I'm like, I'm really worried. We've got these students that are just outside of the door. They're painting. We really should get them inside. They are not protected out there. And Oscar smiled and he looked at me and he said, Brent, 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 it is okay. Jesus will watch over them. And I realized, like, if you know Oscar and you know me, Oscar is way more trusting. He's got his faith in Jesus is super strong. And I, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I want to believe what you're saying. And I really want to believe that Jesus will watch over them. But, but I, I'm not sure. Oscar, I'm really worried. He said, Brent, Brent, don't, don't worry. Jesus will watch them. And Jesus will keep them safe. And I said, Oscar, listen, if I go home and I go back to some mom in America and I try to explain to her that their child was allowed to work alone out on the dangerous streets of El Salvador and that they got captured by a gang and now they're taken hostage and I would say, you know, we shouldn't really worry because Jesus will protect them. Like, Oscar, we need to bring him in because Jesus will not be able to protect me from those moms. Like... And then all of a sudden Oscar started to laugh and he recognized, he realized the confusion and he said, Oh, Brent, Brent, Brent. Yes. Jesus is watching and he pointed at the sky and he said, but also Jesus is also watching them. Jesus happens to be one of their board members and he had worked security for one of the bank presidents in El Salvador. And at that very moment, he was standing just outside with the individuals that were painting and he was watching over these guys that were painting. It's important that we know what Jesus will do. It's also important that we know which Jesus or Jesus we are talking about. Because it can get really confusing if we don't know. In fact, Jesus knew this to be true. When Jesus was on earth, he would walk around and he would speak to large crowds of people. The people would follow him and they would come to listen to him teach. And the people that were listening, they started to have all different sorts of ideas about who he is and what the people could expect him to do and and what he was going to do for them. So one time as Jesus was meeting with his his closest followers or his closest friends, uh, the 12 guys that are known as the disciples, Jesus started into a conversation with them about who people were saying he is. One of Jesus' followers, a guy named Matthew, actually wrote down the story And he recorded what Jesus said. It's it's going to be in your message notes. It's going to be on the screen. But this is what Jesus asked the 12 guys. In Matthew 16, 15, we read this. Jesus said, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Just before this, Jesus had asked the guys. He was like, listen, who, who is everybody out there saying I am? Who does the crowd say I am? Jesus cared what the masses thought. He really wanted to know who everybody was thinking he is and and what they were thinking he would do. But but what Jesus really cared about, he really cared about what each each of us individually say about that question. How each of us would respond to that. That's what truly matters, is how each of us would respond to that. It isn't about what other people say about Jesus. But for each of us to realize and understand who he is. That's why he says to the guys, he's like... Who do you say I am? Jesus wants to make sure that his 12 closest guys knew who he is. He wanted to make sure that they knew what he would do. Because ultimately that's what matters. It matters what we say. It matters what we believe he will do. Because depending on what you believe Jesus will do, begins to determine and dictate how you'll respond to him. And as a culture, we're trying to figure this out all the time. You can turn to just about any major network and and you can find a story. CNN recently did a documentary called Finding Jesus, Faith, Fact, Forgery. The BBC did a story or did a documentary. They called theirs the, The Story of Jesus. The History Channel has theirs. Theirs is called The Real Face of Jesus. PBS has a special From Jesus to Christ is the name of their documentary. National Geographic has one called The Jesus Mystery. Time Magazine put together an article called The Search for the Real Jesus. And when you look at all these different documentaries, it kind of feels like that final scene at the end of an episode of Scooby-Doo, you know, where they're pulling off the different masks trying to reveal, who is the true Jesus? And the deal is, Jesus is not wanting to make this a big mystery. This is not some crazy thing he's looking for us to solve. Jesus wants to roll it out there plainly for us. Jesus isn't looking for it to be a mystery. He wants you and I. He wants us to know who he is and what he will do. So Jesus rolls this question out and says, who do you say I am? And then one of the guys answers the question. Here's the answer one of the guys gives. It says, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, if you're Peter, if you know much about Peter, Peter's got to be kind of nervous about this answer. See, Peter's the guy that oftentimes would just just blurt out an idea. Jesus would ask a question, and, and Peter would oftentimes just throw something out there. Oftentimes, his answers were way over the top. Sometimes he would try to underestimate to come in low, and sometimes he would overestimate to try and surprise. And this is a huge moment. Peter is telling Jesus who he thinks he is. Like, you don't want to mess this one up. I mean, and Peter messes up all the time. You just read a little bit further down in Matthew, and there's a situation where where Peter starts speaking and saying something, and Jesus actually looks at him and says, Hey, Satan, get out of my way. Like, Peter has a history of messing this up. This is a big deal for Peter. But he gets it right. In fact, Jesus goes on and says, Listen, you nailed it. That's perfect. Jesus says, That's exactly who I am. In fact, that's exactly what I will do. That is exactly what people can expect. Jesus confirms. He's like, yeah, you're right, I am the Messiah. You're right, I am the Son of God. And there's tons of information in just that little bit there. So much that that because of our cultural traditions, we don't necessarily understand all of that. So in order to make sure that we all understand, we need to take a quick moment and take what we're going to call a theological breakdown A theological breakdown and really try to understand what the Messiah means. Because really, we don't fully get it. See, when Peter says that Jesus is the Messiah, in that moment when he said that, that means a ton to anybody that grew up in Israel. Anybody that grew up at that point and was Jewish, they would have learned exactly what Messiah meant. They would have learned about it in school. They would have learned about it in synagogue. They would have talked about it. And so each week during Jesus' will, we're going to take a moment and we're going to break down, we're going to do a little theological breakdown and try and focus and understand theologically the truth about who Jesus is that will allow us to help and understand a better, have a better understanding of what he will do. Now the word Messiah comes out of a Jewish word that's very rich and powerful and has a great depth to meaning. The word Messiah in the Hebrew literally means the idea, it's the idea of the anointed one. And so in that particular culture, if someone was anointed, when someone was chosen for a holy office, the priest of sorts, they would be anointed and they would take some oil and they would put it on their head and it would symbolize that that individual had been chosen for that position. And so the term Messiah actually refers to the idea of the king that has been anointed. It is the king who has been chosen by God to come into the world and right all of the wrongs. The Messiah is the one anointed and chosen by God to show up and to bring justice and to bring peace into God's kingdom and to issue God's kingdom into the world. And the Jewish people, they had been waiting for the Messiah for centuries. When we get into, (coughs) excuse me, when we get into the last part of the Bible, the part of the New Testament where it's the story of Jesus, it's it's written in Greek and, and that Greek word when it's translated out of the Hebrew is translated into the word of Christos we would know that word to be Christ. That's where we get the term Jesus Christ. And it's probably really good for each of us to know that that Christ is not his last name. So if you're ever playing Trivial Pursuit and somebody says, what's the last name of Jesus? Do not answer, Christ. Or if you ever just wanna really sound smart in a conversation and you're like, well, Mr. Christ was born in, don't do it. It's not, you're wrong. Just, Christ is not his last name, Christ is a title. It's like Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah, which means he is the one that God sent to save people. And it was so important in this first century with Jesus and the Jewish people. They were looking for a political and military rescue. They were looking for a savior that was going to come and take over and lead the people. They were looking for somebody great that would be a descendant of their greatest King David. They were hoping for a leader that was going to come and and drive the Romans out of their land. The Romans had come in and they were oppressing them and they were looking for somebody that was going to kick the Romans out. But God sent in a very different Messiah. God had a much greater vision for what the Messiah would be, for what the Savior would do. So this morning, that's what I want to focus on. I want us to focus in on what Jesus will do and why God sent his son, the Messiah, the Christ, and what it means for you and I specifically. And it means two things that Jesus will do for us. The two things that Jesus is the Messiah and what it means in our life is that Jesus came to free us from sin and he came to give us life now and life forever. So I want to show you and look at what Jesus will do for us in both of those areas. So the first way that I want us to see, I want us to begin to see how Jesus forgives sins. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a huge fan of magic. I love magicians. Uh, Every year on America's Got Talent, I am pulling for the magicians. They don't even have to be good. I want them to win. Um, If my family, if we're ever walking down in a city somewhere and we happen to go past a street magician, I'm always like, we are stopping. We got to watch this. Um, the David Blaine specials, incredible. Magic for humans, I love it. Magicians, and, and magicians, are, they're not known for telling their secrets. Magicians, they don't want to reveal how they pulled off a trick. One time when I was younger, I was watching this uh, close up sleight slide-of-hand magician, and, and I was just dying to know how he was able to pull off these tricks. I was completely captivated. I was just locked in, and I started begging. I was like, hey, could you please tell me? how you're doing these tricks. Would you, just, would you just show me the secret? And he looked at me and he said, you really want to know? And I was like, yes, I want to know. And he said, can you promise to keep a secret? And I was like, yes, of course I can keep a promise. I can, or I can keep a secret, I promise you. And he said, good, so can I. And then he just sent me on my way. And the great news is this, is that Jesus is not trying to keep a secret from us. Jesus wants us to know what it is that he promises us that he will do. He wants us to be able to look and see. He wants us to have an understanding of what he will do. And so this first part of how we find forgiveness for sin happens when you and I recognize the need for us to admit our need for God's forgiveness. Jesus is God's son, which means that he is also God. And that, that statement right there would probably require another uh, theological breakdown. Uh, my brain can only handle one of those a week, so we're just going to move on for now. But in order for Jesus to forgive sin, it starts with you and I being willing to admit that we need forgiveness. I mean, I don't know if you've ever tried to help somebody, somebody that needed, needed help, but they wouldn't admit that they needed help. It's pretty much impossible to help them. I mean, if you try and help somebody, but they don't make room for you to step in. If they don't make a way for you to take a part of the load. If they don't allow you to carry some of the slack, there really isn't much that you can do. And in order for Jesus to forgive us, we have to start by admitting that we need it. Which means we also have to understand then what sin is. Sin is essentially any time you and I make any choice, action, word, do anything that ultimately breaks relationship with God, or a choice that we make that breaks relationship with another person. So if I lie to you, that's gonna break relationship. If you intentionally choose to kick dirt on my shoes, that's gonna break relationship. It also might lead to me punching you in the head, which is also going to break relationship. Same with God. If we ignore the way God is leading us, it breaks relationship. If we recognize that there is a way that God has designed us to live, and we're like, ah, I don't need your advice, ah, get out of my way, get out of my business, what, ultimately then that breaks relationship with God. And the real problem that's created when that, when that break in relationship happens, what it begins to do is it creates separation. And when we break relationship with each other, we've, we've experienced that separation and it begins to establish distance. And over time, if that's not corrected, that separation is there and we need to have that resolved. And so if we begin to see that that's true in our life, we can begin to admit our need for forgiveness, that we've made choices that have broken relationships. An early church leader, uh, shortly after Jesus' time on earth, he wrote about this in terms of how all of us need to admit this. Paul, the leader, wrote this. He said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every single one of us sin. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. Like, that's the reality of it. We have all messed up. We have all fallen short of God's standard. Because God's standard is perfection. God has never sinned. God has never made a choice that broke relationship. So none of us match up to that. And sometimes in our life, the sin is big. Sometimes it's a sin and everybody can see it and it's embarrassing and it hurts ourselves, and it hurts other people. I mean, armed robbery, you get caught, that's a pretty big deal. Maybe you just get caught in a lie. Maybe you get get caught driving while intoxicated. Like those are big. And they come with enormous consequences. And that sin breaks relationship. Sometimes the sin seems little, like nobody notices. And the real problem with what seems like small or little sin is that so oftentimes we feel like maybe we got away with it. Maybe nobody knows. Maybe it's some porn site that you tend to visit late at night when nobody's watching. Ah, nobody's gonna know. Maybe there's some jealousy or some hatred towards a coworker. And we just think we've kind of held it to ourselves. The problem is we think that nobody has seen it. We think that nobody is going to notice. And then we begin to think that it really won't matter. But the reality is that even that small stuff can have a huge impact on our life if we don't deal with it. And so we have to admit, we have to recognize there's nothing that you and I can do on our own to go back and change the past. There's nothing you and I can do to go back and make it all disappear or go away or fix it on our own. We can't fix it. And because you and I can't go back and fix it, that separation continues to exist until we go and find help. Until we admit the sin in our life. Until we admit that there's choices that we've made that, have made that have broken a relationship. And until we admit that, it won't change. But once we admit that, once we admit that problem that exists, that allows Jesus to begin to step and do what Jesus will do to begin to forgive sin. Which brings us to the second aspect of what Jesus will do when it comes to Jesus forgiving our sin. And it comes when you and I begin to recognize our need to believe that Jesus truly is the Messiah. We have to remember what the Messiah was going to do. The Messiah was going to come to save and to rescue and to restore. And when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, it means we realize that we need to be rescued. We needed to be saved. We needed to be restored. It means a recognition that 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 separation with God is not good. That that separation with God means that we are no longer connected to the ruler of the universe. We are no longer connected to the giver of life. There's a separation. And the Messiah was the one that came to make that all right. To resolve that. And the problem was that the sin in our life, somebody has to pay for that sin in our life. Somebody had to get rid of that. Now, I don't know if you remember this. This is going to feel like a lifetime ago. Um, Do you remember uh, going to a restaurant with friends? Let me just paint the picture in case you can't remember. You walk in, and they they find you a seat, and you all sit down, and then they they bring you menus. Um, It's like a big book with pictures of the food and the descriptions that you're going to eat. And so then everybody orders, and you decide what you're going to eat, and then the server goes away, and they make your food, and then they bring you back. It's really fun. You'll have to try it sometime. But anyway, at the end of the meal... The server comes back with a bill. Somebody has to pay the bill. And, and maybe you're at a dinner where there's, there's one person that steps up and they're like, hey, you know what, I'll get it. I'll pay, I'll cover it. Or, or maybe you're with friends and you're like, hey, let's just divide it up evenly. Or, or, or maybe you, you, know, you send the bill around and everybody marks down what part is theirs. But in the end, the bill has to be paid. And, and if nobody is going to pay, then that means that somebody's going to have to go in the back and do the dishes. But, but in the end, the bill has to be paid. And there is a cost for sin, and it has to be paid. And Jesus says, I will pay that price. Jesus says, I will take on the bill so that nobody else has to. And when you and I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, what we're saying is, I believe that Jesus paid the bill so that I don't have to. Now, we obviously then need to know what the bill is and what the cost is. And if you want to know what the cost is, and if you've ever watched sports, then you probably know this verse. You've at least seen the reference to this verse. You've seen the guy holding up the sign that says John 3.16. And the guy that was holding up that sign wanted you and I to know that Jesus paid the bill. This is what John 3.16 says. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God God did not not send send his son into the world world to to condemn the the world, but to save save the the world through him. In order for you and I to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers, it's not enough for us just to intellectually understand that Jesus is the Messiah. It's something that we have to believe with our heart. It's something that we have to embrace with all that we are. Have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And belief is so important because when we believe in something, it requires us to trust that someone or something is going to do what they say they're going to do. I mean, if you climb into a roller coaster and suddenly you don't believe or you don't trust that the straps or the harnesses are going to do what they need to do, you're going to be screaming, get me off this ride. If you don't believe in the parachute, you probably won't jump out of the airplane, If you don't believe in the glass at the aquarium, you probably won't stand in front of the shark tank. Belief is what allows us to trust that what we're counting on is going to come through. And when Jesus gave his life, when he chose to be nailed to the cross, he was paying the bill for your sin and for my sin. Because Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. And because he never sinned, he had no bill to pay for himself personally. And that freed him up to pay our bill. And when we admit that we need to be forgiven, and when we believe that he is able, he is then willing to pay that bill so that we don't have to. And he's already paid it. And that's how forgiveness works. That's how Jesus will forgive you and will forgive me. Because he's already done the work. He's just waiting for us to admit that we need it. And he's just waiting for us to admit that we believe that he is the Messiah and that he's the one that's able to rescue and he's the one that's able to deliver. So the question is, and the question is the same that Jesus asked, who do you say that he is? I mean, that's the key for all of us. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that he is in your life and what he will do? Do you admit that you need Jesus? Do you believe that he is the one to meet that need? Because when this is how we begin to view Jesus, that he will forgive, that he will remove that separation from God, when that begins to happen and we begin to receive that into our life, suddenly that separation is removed. Suddenly we can be in relationship with God and suddenly it begins to open up a whole new possibility, which brings us to the second part of what Jesus will do. And the second part of what Jesus will do and what I want us to see is how Jesus gives life. And we want, I really want this to soak in because understand that Jesus is more interested in your current situation and your life moving forward than he is in your past. What he's offered us is to make right everything in the past. He wants to get rid of the, the sin that's in our life. He wants to make us right with God, and he wants to do all of that. He wants to forgive us so that he can clear a path, that he can open the door to the most amazing life possible. And if that's going to happen, there's two choices that we need to make to experience the life that Jesus will provide. And that Jesus will lead to. The first choice that we have to make is that we just need to confess that Jesus is Lord. It starts when you and I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and then it continues as we trust him to say, I believe that Jesus can lead me to the best life possible. And that happens when we confess that Jesus is Lord. We're deciding, we're choosing to follow him. The early church leader named Paul, he wrote this and again in Romans, he said, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, Jesus doesn't need you to be his fan. He desires you to be his follower. And Jesus doesn't want you to like him. He wants to lead us. He wants to be the Lord of our life. He wants to be the leader. He wants to help make the decisions in our life. He wants to be the decision maker. And when you and I say that he is Lord, what we're saying is, God, you are leader of my life. It's saying, God, I believe that, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross, and because you died on the cross, I can trust that you're going to then have my best interest in mind, and you are going to guide me in a life and make the best decisions possible. And because Jesus didn't also stay dead, he died on the cross, which earns him the right, but then he also came back. He didn't stay dead. He came back to life, which shows us he has the power to lead us beyond our own capabilities and beyond our own understanding. See, you and I, we can choose anybody to be the Lord of our life. Lord simply means who it is that we're going to answer to, who it is that we're going to follow. So you can choose to be Lord of your life. I can choose to be Lord of my life. You can let your favorite politician be Lord of your life. You can let your career or your boss be Lord of your life. Someone gets to be in charge. Someone gets to call the shots. And it makes sense to me that we would go with the guy that defeated death. If you get to choose who's going to be Lord of your life, you can either choose somebody that hasn't defeated death, or you can go with the guy that did defeat death. I can't defeat death. I didn't do it. My guess is that your boss hasn't defeated death. No politicians, as far as I know, have defeated death. If they had, we probably would have heard about it. Jesus defeated death, and he came back to life. And he wants to be the guy And because he is the guy that defeated death, I think he's the best possible option for you and I when we're choosing to put somebody as Lord. And recognize that Jesus isn't looking to take away all the joy and excitement and fun out of your life. He's looking to help you find the most fulfilling and abundant life possible. And it happens when we let him lead us. And that's true for you if you've never heard of Jesus before. And that's true for you if you've been in church most of your life. Your life will be best with Jesus leading, when he is the Lord of every area. And when you and I choose to let Jesus be the Lord of our life, what it will begin to allow us to do is we'll begin to live in the fullness that Jesus offers. Listen to what Jesus explained, why he came to earth. Jesus said this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Which doesn't mean that Jesus is going to take all the difficult situations out of your life. This doesn't mean that Jesus is going to make it so that you never hurt again. This doesn't mean that Jesus is going to make it so that you're never sick again or that he's going to keep people that you love out of medical struggles. That's not what it means. It also doesn't mean that Jesus is going to make you rich. It also doesn't mean that Jesus is going to make you pretty. It also doesn't mean that Jesus is going to give you everything you've ever wanted. I mean, imagine if Jesus gave us everything we ever wanted, every little girl would be running around with unicorns and kitties, And every guy would run around looking like the rock. But what it does mean Jesus will do is he will lead us to the best possible life. And Jesus will show us how to treat others. And Jesus will help us to respond to difficult situations. And Jesus will guide us as we manage the resources that he's blessed us in our life. And Jesus will teach us how to love deeply and how to receive love. And Jesus will guide us how to make the most of each day and each situation and each opportunity. And when all of those things are happening, and when we receive the forgiveness that he offers, and life begins to flow, and we begin to follow the way that he is leading, you and I will discover the most amazing life that is ever possibly available to be discovered. And this morning, if you're listening and you've never accepted Jesus, if you've never brought him into your life, this is the most incredible day to do that. Maybe this morning you're listening and... and, and, and you've accepted Jesus at some point, but you've recognized this morning you need to recommit to that. That you need to again say, Jesus, I'm going to allow you to be the Lord of my life. In just a second, I'm going to give you some words, and I want to encourage you to talk to Jesus right now. I want to give you some words that you can begin to say that will allow you to take the opportunity to begin a relationship with Jesus. And in just a minute, we're going to have a little pop-up window that's going to show up in the chat area where you can just click that you're interested in this and that you want to have a relationship with Jesus, I would just encourage you to to click that little raise a hand button, fill out some information, because we want to be able to connect with you. We want to send you some information. We want to pray with you. We want to walk through this process with you. But as you do that, would would you just pray with me if that's where you're at? God, this morning, we recognize, we admit our need for your forgiveness. Jesus, this morning I recognize that that not only are you able or do I need your forgiveness, you are the Messiah. You are the one that's capable of rescuing me. Thank you so much that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you so much that not only did you die on the cross for me, but you rose from the dead, and as a result, I can trust you as the Lord of my life. Jesus, I want to accept your forgiveness. I want to follow you. I want to experience the most amazing life you want me to live. Jesus, help me to trust in you. Jesus, as I begin this process of a relationship with you, help me each and every day to have a greater understanding of what that looks like in my life. Thank you so much for your love for me. In Jesus' name, amen.